This is Live Well Talk on Preventive Cardiology. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at Unity Point Health St. Luke's Hospital. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reports about 600,000 Americans die each year of heart disease. Annually, that's about 25% of all deaths. Now, CDC has certainly been in the news a lot with COVID, but there are other health conditions that continue on despite the pandemic. According to St. Luke's Heart Care Clinic, they are seeing more people for pre preventative heart care. Joining me today to discuss uh, what that means is Dr. Faid El-Darazi, cardiologist with St. Luke's Heart Care Clinic. Welcome. Thank you. This is your first podcast, isn't it, with us? Yes. Well, we're glad to have you. And we're hoping you can outshine Wagdi, so that shouldn't, the bar set pretty low for you. <laughs> I think you can do it. I, I'm confident. But, uh, you know, it, we've I've talked on my updates about COVID, how some of the stuff that we're seeing in the hospital right now, this what I call the tsunami of just chronic medical disease, is a result that we suspended healthcare for six months in 2020. We just quit doing what we normally do, and I yep. think it's 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 coming in now because cancers kept going, heart disease kept going, uh, and so tell me what your guys are seeing in the clinic as far as heart care and preventative care, et cetera. I mean, initially uh, at the beginning of the COVID, we postponed everything: diagnostics, screening, office visits, uh, and even when we reopened, a uh, patient uh, did not want to come forward. Um, there was a lot of delay in care that patient initiated even after we opened. So I would say for the first six to 12 months, I mean, we've seen that trend. The last six months, we're seeing exactly the opposite trend. We've seen a very high referral basis, very high self-referral basis. Um, uh, we're, we're almost not able to accommodate new patients on a timely manner the same way we used to do it uh, in the past. For example, we used to see a new patient within two weeks, um, now it's taking much, much longer to do that. And this, the reason is, I think with the vaccine and with, with the fear becoming less of uh, uh, going to the clinics, basically uh, people are coming more forward. Um, they want to get back to getting their screening done, getting their health care taken care of. Even the people with the heart disease, I mean, they delayed their care a lot. Yeah. But when we start seeing them, I mean, I mean, I saw one of them today, I was like, what have you been for the last year and a half? I mean, just right. just just today. Um, so, uh, but I believe the last six months I've seen that shift where it's not happening as much. I mean, we're getting to those annual checks, six month checks. Um, we're doing our screening like the way we used to do it before. So, I think it's opened up again. Yeah, I went to a visitation recently, and uh, the person that passed away was in their nineties, but they just simply quit going to the doctor about two years ago. Now, now they still might have passed away in their 90s, but I mean, they just quit participating in healthcare two years ago uh, because of COVID, uh, afraid of that. So it's certainly real. And I, and again, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, I think it's part of the tsunami that we're seeing now. I think that's why we're so busy. Um, you know, we, yeah, COVID, we might have 40, 50 COVID patients, but, you know, there's still uh, 85 to 90 other patients in the hospital that are not COVID that are some sort of chronic medical condition that's been exacerbated because we're not doing a lot of elective surgeries right now with the the, the volume that we have. So it really puts in perspective uh, 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 what we're up against. So preventative heart care, there, there's two patients that are going to come to you in, in my assessment. There's going to be one patient that's either self-referred or referred from a, another colleague 
that has a con concern, chest pain, shortness of breath, things, et cetera, that you, they want that investigated. And then there's preventative heart care. So at, let's start with that symptomatic patient. Uh, I'm referred to you. I've, I've had some uh, uh, out shoveling the snow and uh, got a little chest pain. Uh, I have a I have a snowblower, so that's not a risk factor for me. But it but it's a real risk factor. So uh, take me through what's going to happen to that patient in the clinic when they show up to see you. So they they come. I mean, of course, they're screened by the nurses for their past medical history. We do that too, also like first time um, for their medications. They get their blood pressure checked, um, and then when we are introduced to them, I mean, we're going to go with a like a history taking. So. History is the most important thing, including their past medical history, their current history of why they're coming, um, description of their condition, um, when did it start, um, what's making it better, what's making it worse. So if we're talking about chest pain, I mean, it's a, it's a good five, 10 minutes history taking at first. Uh, we're going to ask about their family history to see if there's any predisposing factors, if they have any risk factors themselves. Have they ever been screened for anything? Have they ever been tested for it uh, or for any heart condition before? We're going to lump all this information together and then come up with a plan. And the plan is going to focus on stratifying if this is uh, a benign condition or this is an intermediate risk condition and then we, do, we need to do more investigation or, it's a, um, or we have a diagnosis and we need to jump to a treatment plan. So this is basically, I mean, how we do it. It's usually anywhere between 20 to 40 minutes uh, office visit when it's a first time uh, person coming. I mean, um, the physical exam focuses on the heart mostly. We also check, um, because it's a first visit, we also check the legs uh, for swelling. We check the legs for uh, circulation. We examine the carotid. So basically it's a full cardiovascular assessment, even if it's not related to um, the main uh, symptoms. Of course, we're going to answer the question. We're going to focus on why the person is coming to us. But just coming the first time, they're going to get a full evaluation, like head to toe, um, for their arteries, for their for their heart, and uh, and their medical uh, history. So the 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 which that depending on the on a scale of one to ten, whether or not you're concerned, you know, ten being the most concerned, one less concerned. That may influence whether or not you go and do a cardiac angiogram mm -hmm. uh, or just a stress test, et cetera. Because sometimes if the story is so convincing, you just go straight to the cath yeah, lab. Yeah. We do that, I mean, at least once a month, at least yeah. myself. I mean, somebody comes, I mean, the story is like, that's it, slam dunk. I mean, um, we cast them within the first, like, 24, 48 hours from seeing them. So if it's, uh, it's a convincing chest pain history that suggests there is an ongoing heart problem, and then we think it's a high risk problem, then we just go straight for the cath, uh, where we basically check the arteries of the heart to see if it's clogged up or not. If it's um, if it is like an intermediate history or like an intermediate suspicion, uh, not kind of slam dunk, we call it cardiac, and at the same time, it's not completely benign, like it's not a muscle in the chest, it's not acid reflux or any of this. Um, then we'll investigate more. We might do an ultrasound of the heart. We might do a stress test. Um, um, if we suspect arrhythmia that's causing it, if there's any other findings on the history that suggests this is a rhythm issue, especially nowadays, a lot of people carry either a Fitbit or an Apple Watch or a um, sort of device around the wrist that tells them if their heart is going up during those symptoms, and might tilt us towards 
other investigation, for example, a heart monitor. Um, a lot of people with chest pain, not necessarily it's coming from a, a blocked artery, it comes from an AFib, for example, or an uh, atrial tachycardia. So it depends on, on, on what the story is telling us. It's, it's always the story. Right. Um, we focus a lot on the story, and then the exam, of course, is going to help us. When I first see patient first time in the clinic, I do get an EKG. Uh, it's a screening tool that's going to tell me a lot if it's abnormal. If it's normal, of course, it's not going to rule out things, but if it's abnormal, it's going to head me exactly to where to where things are going. So that's something else also we do on the first encounter. Isn't it interesting, despite all the advances in technology that you have at your disposal, you know, my 25 years of medicine, how I've seen the technology uh-huh. present, a good old-fashioned 12-lead EKG still provides a lot of information. Nothing beats that. Yeah, Eindhoven's triangle still, you know, I mean, it's still, it's practical. It really does accomplish quite a bit. Nowadays, it's almost um, um, available to people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard about the Cardia mobile device. I see the commercials. Yeah, it's, I mean, I got it because my first encounter with that was a patient. I just saw her um, uh, husband today. uh, and she reminded me of that today. Uh, she was the first patient I even learned about the Cardia Mobile with. And on her device, I mean, we got I saw VTAC. <laughs> wow. And she got the actually the advanced one, not the regular one. So there's this one that gives you one strip and the one that gives you six leads. So the one that gives you six leads, basically, it's all the uh, limb leads. So it gives you a lot of information. And then on that, I mean, she had a VTAC. She ended up with an ablation. I mean, all these things. But guess what? People can get screening by themselves now. I mean, she was feeling those palpitations. She she took things by her hands and then got this device, checked it, figured out it's not normal, came to us. That's how it happened. Yeah, that, well, okay, I'll, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I won't roll my eyes as much at those commercials as I have been. Based no, on I mean, I keep telling people, the Apple Watch is real, um, especially if it can identify a good P wave. I tell them, get me a good uh, baseline, get me a good standard uh, um, strip so we can compare when it's abnormal because if it if the, if the baseline normal is not well seen on the uh, on the device then means the other ones is not going to give us much information they are real i mean <laughs> we detect a lot of things on those devices and it's cheap much cheaper than doing monitors and then uh, repeating those monitors if 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 the data is good if the data is um, interpret uh, we can interpret I think it's that. I mean, EKG is <laughs> EKG is EKG. But you know, I and I do think we should cover um, patients. Will ask what what symptoms should I go to the doctor to find out if it's heart disease? And I'll get your opinion on this. I always tell them, I said, you you just come when you have a symptom. I'll figure out whether or not it's something to worry about. That's I, not I, your job. That's my I, job. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. You think? I mean, chest pain, heart racing, fluttering. Problem breathing, even if you're dizzy, lightheaded, um, passing out, just name it, anything, anything. I mean, it doesn't have to be chest pain. It could be jaw pain. It could be my first patient in this practice um, was a pain between the shoulder blades. First patient, first day, um, and he ended up with a bypass because he had atypical symptoms. It wasn't like the um, like the slam dunk chest pain that comes with uh, with exertion. So. Um, anything that concerns, I tell people from here to here, 
<laughs> just let me know. No, that's that's so true. And it's, it's, over, uh, I can honestly say that I've seen more people show up with kind of fatigue and shortness of breath as they're presenting symptom because they curtail their activity over time. So they don't get crushing substernal chest pain because they've curtailed it, not really noticed. The most I remember are the basically the, the highest risk, like somebody passing out for no reason. Okay. And then, um, I mean, you do it like a regular workout. I mean, things are fine, but when you catch them, they have like a 99% left main, which is the main artery of the heart. Um, and then they stop passing out once you fix it. So yeah, things can be atypical. I tell people, I mean, when I see patients and I tell them about what are the warning signs about, um, uh, about their heart, I, I tell them at the end, if you have any concern, if you have any question, don't hesitate. Don't just sleep on it and say, oh, that's just gas or something else. Just ask the question. I can tell you the difference. So, yeah. So now let's take that other patient. Let's say they're, because patients can self-refer, correct? Yeah. So I, I've, I've self-referred to the office and I just say, you know, I'm, I'm 55, I'm actually 52. Uh, and I, I have some risk factors. What, what should I do? And, and so take me through that patient. How, how is that? Uh, I'm having no symptoms. I we do see that a lot. A lot of people self-refer because either the way you're describing this, this scenario of I have some risk factors. I mean, should I be concerned about my heart health or not? Or even I have a family history of a heart condition. Okay. Like somebody died in my family. Suddenly we don't know, we don't know what's from. Uh, or there is a family history of congenital heart disease or uh, valvular disease or um, myopathies where the heart is weak and dilated. So we get all of this. So when people come, uh, we go through the, uh, I mean, this is not tailoring towards symptoms, but tailoring towards prevention. So um, based on their uh, profile, okay, we decide which type of testing they need for screening. So, for example, um, somebody um, who's a diabetic, uh, who smokes, um, and then they're feeling fine, they exercise, they don't have symptoms, they need to know whether they should be on a statin or not, they should be on aspirin or not, we do a CT calcium score. Okay, so that test tells us if there is calcium buildup in the arteries of the heart. It's a very cheap test, very, very low radiation, um, um, takes about 10 minutes, uh, it's a very vague picture of the heart that just counts the dots if there is calcium buildup in the arteries of the heart. Now, it has to be done on people above the age of 40 because below that, unlikely people to build up calcium. And, and, and women, right? Women will have softer plaques, so you have to be... They will have softer plaques. Yeah. But still, between the age of 40 to 80, or, uh, 79, basically 80, this test is used as a screening test to certify people that have um, risk factors. Now, um, when we check the cholesterol for people and then we assess the risk factors, if, uh, if their risk is very high, we don't need to do that. We can just start a treatment with a statin. Let's say their risk is more than 20% of having heart disease in the coming 10 years, then we just we can, we offer them treatment. Uh, if they're reluctant, um, we can do the calcium score to kind of prove it or not. But the, really the population that benefits from the calcium score uh, uh, is a population that has um, low risk and a family history of heart disease at early age or the intermediate risk population that has a 10 to 20% risk of heart disease. So you don't know, should we treat with statins? Should we uh, uh, do any other testing? The calcium score is the best test to do. So 
this is how we evaluate coronary artery disease. Um, this is not the population that has a family history of uh, cardiomyopathies or weak hearts. That's different. Um, so people can come for screening for different reasons. So just to answer, based on the scenario you gave me, it's it's more focused on coronary artery disease. Um, right. But we can see people coming for screening for lots of different other reasons. That's interesting. That yeah. The listeners are going to want to know this. Um, did you see any uh, vaccine-related cardiomyopathies or myocarditis? Yes. yes. We've, I've seen it more in a hospital setting okay. than a clinic. Because um, what happens is people get the vaccine, especially the second dose. Um, and then within the first 24 to 48 hours, they come either with chest pain, uh, syncope, and they come in and their troponin is up. Now, I can tell you we've, we've gathered those people. The coronaries were fine. Okay, so um, initially we did not know, but now we know that this was a focal myocarditis or an episode of myocarditis that led to this. So um, I haven't seen massive myocarditis with the vaccine. It's more in the younger uh, population group. Yeah, um, so I haven't encountered one myself. I mean, I know it, it exists. I mean, we read that. So, I mean, we, we've seen the reports. Um, the lucky thing about it is recovery. So um, they all recover. I mean, that's that's the good thing about it. That's um, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but definitely, I've seen the elderly or the older people with the vaccine getting uh, focal myocarditis. That's I mean, I've encountered many of those people in the hospital. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think the you know over time, I mean, it's going to be interesting. Um, you, you know, 10, 20 years from now, look back on all this and kind of really. Uh, being part of it to look back on the pandemic and other things you know we, we we like to talk here on the podcast uh that you know i always make the reference that family history is like a handgun okay so here you have this handgun that's empty it's not really risk factored anyone right but then you start putting bullets in the chamber you put one in it's high high blood pressure then you put diabetes in there then you put smoking it then you put you know and now pretty soon you have a very dangerous weapon in your hands right. that you've made dangerous, you know. So so in your clinic, you guys focus on cholesterol management, blood pressure management, smoking cessation. I know the pulmonology has that as well, but, uh, uh, get, you know, stopping the nicotine, right? Yeah, if if people didn't smoke, uh, most of us physicians, would we'd need part-time jobs. <laughs> you know, really, I mean. If, I, if everybody I, quit smoking, we'd be, yeah. We, we, I tell people um, there are five things they can do to, to minimize the risk of having heart issues. Exercise a lot, watch their diet, avoid smoking. And if they have diabetes and high blood pressure, make sure they're under good control. If they have all this, they wouldn't need a doctor probably. Right, right. That's so true. <laughs> uh, is there anything else you wanted to cover regarding preventive heart disease? Um, I do want to say that um, we are under screening people for heart disease. So um, and we have to be a little bit more aggressive. Now, unfortunately, that's part because um, insurance companies are not covering those screening tests. So there's a less um, motivation uh, from people. Although, I mean, there is a trend that people self-refer, but I think when, when you take that the general community, um, that is not... There's not a lot of people coming forward to get screening for their uh, for any heart condition. 
Um, and again, I'm going to repeat something I, just, I, I said earlier. CT coronary calcium score is one of the best screening tools for people if they have any underlying coronary artery disease, because that's going to determine if they should benefit from aspirin, if they should benefit from statin, whether they have diabetes, whether they have hypertension. So anybody with a family history or anybody with intermediate risk score should get that. It's uh, it's right now out of pocket. It's about hundred dollars. Out of pocket. And they, they can just call the clinic and get one of those scheduled, or how's that happen? It has to be ordered by a physician. It can be ordered by the primary care doctor. I mean, it's out okay. of pockets. Um, so um, it's ordered as a CT calcium score, that coronary calcium score. And it's fast. I mean, you get the reading the same day. I mean, um, so if it's, if it's negative, you can repeat it after five to 10 years. Um, if it's positive means if the calcium score is more than 100 because zero to 100 is kind of like a vague area of what people should do with more than 100 should be on aspirin and should be on statin to prevent heart attack to prevent strokes to prevent any heart events so uh, this is one of the best tools and the other thing i would say is people underestimate the the bad outcome that they can get from alcohol excessive alcohol um, cause a lot of arrhythmias this has been already established this has been already um, um, put in the news and in the papers and everything. Um, but that's something uh, people should know. Um, if they have, I mean, if there's one, one of those old studies that one to two ounces of uh, uh, red wine is good for the heart, no more than that. No more than that. So social drinking is okay. But daily drinking is really, really bad for the heart. It can cause high blood pressure, can cause brain uh, um, uh, issues. Um, can cause myopathies, the heart can get weaker, can cause a lot of arrhythmias, a lot of arrhythmias, AFib, VTAC, SVTs, we see this all the time. So something we don't focus on a lot in the clinic, but uh, once we see people, we tell them, but it's not a common knowledge for everybody is alcohol is as bad as smoking on the heart. People can get a lot of, I mean, um, heart issues uh, from alcohol. So um, focus on exercise again, exercise, 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 no smoking, cut down on alcohol. Those are the most important things. That's really great advice. Well, yeah. the, the final question to all the guests, uh, it, it, or almost all of them for sure, is what, why, why did you choose cardiology? Why, why not internal medicine, which, you know, or, or uh, surgery? What, what, what drew, drew you to cardiology? I'm going to give you a background and I'll tell you the rest. When I got into medical school, I thought I'm going to be an orthopedic physician. The reason is I was so much into sports and varsity teams and national teams that I was like, okay, that fits into this. Um, but I have to say around my mid third year of medical school and my fourth year is when all of a sudden I said, okay, it's internal medicine. I'm not into surgery. And I, I, I kind of loved it. I mean, the physiology, the pathophysiology of the heart, it's kind of like all of a sudden, this is what attracted me. Just kind of like you fall in love with it. And then there was this doctor. Um, he was a fresh uh, uh, fellow graduate from Emory who came to Lebanon. I, I did my medical school at the American University of Beirut. And he moved there. I mean, he finished his uh, uh, studies at Emory as a cardiologist, interventional cardiologist. And I was lucky to train with him for a couple of months in the CCU. In Lebanon, as medical student, we used to cover the CCU. 
that's how it was. So you get the bread and butter of everything right on. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, he had a lot of influence uh, uh, for me to decide uh, to go for cardiology. I mean, he did such a great job. He did um, in, in terms of teaching, kind of like making me even love it even more than what I thought I did. And when I started cardiology, I mean, like, there was no compete. Um, it's just, it's a passion. Yeah. It's a passion. And then now in practice, even more, I mean, like, I, I do things right now I did not even learn in fellowship. I learned more cardiology in, 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 uh, in practice than I learned in training. Yeah, um, you, I, I've said that to other people that that I feel sorry for people that the first year you're in practice, uh -huh. you learn so much. And, you know, and I was lucky I had this partner. Uh, it was just me and another guy, but he was he was a good teacher. He liked to teach uh, and he was smart. And I learned so much, you know, I mean, after, you know, and and uh, you don't appreciate that uh, at the time, you know, because you're just survival days. Right. Yeah. 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 And then in the end, you're like, wow. And then all this, but at the same time, other than just building experience, I mean, cardiology is a very moving field. Literally, like five years backward, there were things that, I mean, we have now that did not exist. Yeah. Um, I'm doing things that I never thought I, was, I would do when I was in training. Um, you learn skills. I mean, of course, experience. You keep reading and um, um, you have to catch up with all the studies and all this. But on a procedural level, I mean, like you learn stuff that are fun. Like I, I, I take fun in doing, for example, an imaging procedure and catching something. I like the diagnostic part of cardiology. Um, so doing those imaging uh, procedures like the TE or the cardiac CT, I mean, it's it's fun. I mean, like beyond beyond just um, uh, treating somebody, I mean, like establishing a good health for, for people. There's a fun in uh, uh, catching these things and then uh, making a difference by, by, by changing the outcome. So. Um, I mean, interventionists can probably tell you more because they are like right up front when people are all of a sudden dying and then the next thing is they're going home. That's even more rewarding. Like before I went on my vacation, it just happened that me and Karuni, we were uh, 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 we were on call over the weekend. Um, and then we had three emergencies at the same time. So we were kind of help. He was in the cath lab <laughs> putting a impella, kind of a support device. At the same time, we get two calls from the emergency room, two STEMIs. <laughs> so, so we kind of start dividing. I mean, I go down, and then as I was talking to the to the person, he calls on me, goes into VFib, goes have a seizure, and then we shock him out of it. And I go home, and something happened that was like really like uh, gave me goosebumps. It's like when he came back from it, I mean, he was like, guys, I saw God. Wow. Literally. I mean, you don't see this anywhere. I mean, no. like. I mean, I have to say, I mean, cardiology is self-satisfactory, um, um, and there's a, you have to like it, and I really like it a lot. And I, I did get influenced, as I said, by a lot of people uh, in medical school, probably, and uh, especially this guy, the, the cardiologist, um, and I don't regret it. Well, I think it's going to be really easy for listeners to understand why we're so glad that you're here. I love having you on medical staff. Uh, uh, I've had family members that have seen you and mutual patients, and you're doing a great job. We're glad you're here. Thank you very much. Once again, that was uh, Dr. Uh, Faid El-Darazi, 
a cardiologist with St. Luke's Heart Care Clinic. For more information about St. Luke's Heart Care or to consult a cardiologist, visit us online at www.unipoint.org backslash heart, or you can simply call 319-364-7101. Thank you for listening to Live Well Talk On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your family, friends, neighbors, strangers about our podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, be well.